Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call. And you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest, Genesis Amaris Kemp, became a caretaker and a patient advocate taking care of her own father. She's turning that catastrophe into a message to help others. She's giving you 10 mindset hacks on how you can overcome barriers and move forward with your life. Genesis, welcome. Hey, Rena. Hey, Genesis Amaris Kemp. Check out that background. I recognize it. How are you? I am good. How are you? Good. I want to start with unexpected gems that have happened today. Ooh, okay. So unexpected gems that have happened Definitely the rain out of nowhere because I live in Texas, Houston. The weather here is so unpredictable. Let's see, people flaking on your podcast or they have last minute conflicts. So one lady just didn't show up at all and I did reach out to her. And then the next person, he didn't necessarily flake. He's a dad, so he had issues getting his kids up, but he did ask to reschedule. So that's two because those are things that are outside of my control. Tell me about Houston. How long have you been there? Pretty much all my life. You know, grew up in Houston area. Before we moved to Houston, we lived in Baytown, which was a smaller town here in Texas. But, you know, with older brothers and them not having like a lot of stuff to do because that that was a smaller town, we moved to the big city and just been here ever since and loving it. (laughs) Not the humidity, though. That part we I don't like so much, especially having naturally curly hair. So if I straighten my hair, like uh, it does start to like poof up and curl up over time. So it's like, oh man. Okay. I can live with humidity, like Chicago, the snow. I just, I am not loving. Okay. But what is like the hottest it gets? So it's been like 104, I think so. I I can't remember if it's been hotter than that, because if it has been, that means I'm inside my house blasting the AC because I don't like extreme heat and I don't like extreme cold. I definitely like spring type weather. And the reason why is because I tell people I have tropical blood running through my vein because my mom is Caribbean and my dad was South American. So neither one of them came from cold climates. How did they end up in Houston? My grandfather was in oil and gas. So he came here and worked here. And then my mom, her sister, when she left the Caribbean, she went to New York and then she came to Texas. And then she told my mom to come here on a vacation. And little did my mom know that vacation was going to turn into a lifelong stay. Yeah, sometimes that happens, right? How did they meet? Oh, they actually met at my dad's sister's house. One of my mom's sisters knew one of my dad's sisters. So it was so funny. Yeah, that's funny. My parents too. That's how they met. 
Seriously? Yeah. Okay. But I, I want to know a little bit more about Houston because I haven't spent so much time there. What are the must-see places in Houston? What are some of your favorite things about living there your whole life? I mean, that's crazy. So people who visit, they like to go to NASA. I've never really been to NASA. I've been around NASA. Kima, we don't necessarily have an amusement park here. I do like the fact that we're close to Austin. we my husband and I really like Austin. So there's a lot to do in Austin. And the slogan for Austin is keep Austin weird. So <laughs> if you heard that, there's like e-bikes, there's different food places. Then back in Houston, there's a restaurant here called the Turkey Leg Hut. I'm sure if you look them up on Instagram, they have these amazing turkey legs that just fall off the bone that stuff with different things. They're pretty good. The rodeo, we just ended the rodeo, the Houston Livestock Show and rodeo. So you have different headliners that perform here and that's pretty cool. The carnival is amazing. What else? I've never been to a rodeo. Like I feel like I need to experience that. Yes, you definitely need to come. There's like Country Western. There's like a Go Tejano night there was a black heritage night so that was like pretty cool I didn't go this year because various circumstances and it just didn't fit in my schedule but I was like oh man finally the rodeo's back after the pandemic and I and I didn't even go funnel cakes are amazing whatever the rodeo's in town like I love funnel cakes like just loaded up with like strawberries whipped cream or like whatever you want they have like different deep fried foods like deep fried oreos deep fried twinkies and stuff like that that you probably could get at a state fair is that does that go along with everything is bigger in texas because if you eat that that's true yes (laughs) after you eat all that junk you definitely need to go on a detox and do something that will help you shed some of those pounds because you will gain a few pounds you know going to the livestock show and rodeo for sure and it's cool to see like the kids there's a thing called mud and busting where they ride on like the little sheeps the little kids and if you make it all the way to the end they win like a huge belt buckle. So that's the cutest thing to see. They have the calf scramble where like the FFA kids, which is future farmers of America's, they will wrangle a calf and that helps them get scholarship money. So that's pretty cool because, you know, sometimes they're like out there chasing the calf, they're grabbing it by the tail or trying to wrestle it down to the ground. Yeah, that's wild. Did you do that stuff as a kid? No. <laughs> It takes, it definitely takes a lot of money to have like an animal and you have to have like property or a space to raise them depending on what you're raising. Whoa. Okay. And you, I did hear, I listened to a couple of podcasts of you today and I heard that you were the youngest of five. Yeah, I am. So we're a blended family. I have two brothers and two sisters. And you're the baby. Yeah. The glue. (laughs) That's interesting. They Because, you know, I'm the oldest and I would say that, you know, I feel like as an oldest, I kind of had to be the glue in some way too. How would you say that you're the glue? With us being a blended family, my mom had two boys and my dad had two girls. And when they got married and they had me, I was like, oh, I'm the glue. And it felt like I was kind of only child because both of my, both of my brothers went to school together and both of my sisters went to school together. And I kind of went to school by myself. So I didn't really have anyone. And my parents were married for 30 years until my dad passed in 2020. So my mom's now a widow and the family is getting bigger because more and more babies are coming. So two babies are on the way. So that's pretty cool. So, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I feel like 30 years is like so quick. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. This pandemic has been crazy for you. I know that I'm so sorry about your dad. I honestly cannot even imagine. And you have been sharing your story and your grief. Like I feel like so soon after. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Like, did you take a break? A little bit. I took a mini break and then I realized that I just got so tired of people saying, oh, you know, I know how you feel. And I'm like, no, you don't because you have both of your parents or I got tired of people saying, well, the Lord giveth and the Lord take it away like the super spiritual people because I'm like, okay, I understand that, but I still have some problems and some concerns with Jesus right now because I'm like why do the good people have to die young and all the bad people that done all this horrendous stuff are still living so I felt a little bit of animosity and then I just felt like the break that I took was like talking to certain people I took a break from people and I started talking into the mic which is how my podcast Gems Podcast was birthed by me doing solo episodes to really express my grief journey and little did I know it was going to help other people who were going through loss, whether it was a job loss, a loved one, the loss of a pet or etc. Because there are various layers to grief and everyone grieves differently. So by me just being transparent and vulnerable, it was helping other people in return. And that wasn't my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal was to just find a way to cope without going to other people who didn't really understand what I was going through. Do you feel like you found that? I do. Yeah, because now I can have these conversations with other people now that it's been, you know, been some time, it'll be two years this November that my dad passed. But after my dad passed, I went through a job loss where I lost my job in corporate America working for a fortune 500 companies. I was there for seven and a half years. So that was hard. Then my grandmother passed nine months and five days apart from my dad. Then recently this January, my other grandmother passed. So it was like four different losses back to back. How did you work on, I've heard you say it like this and I love this. How did you work on getting vertical with God so that you could then be horizontal with everyone around you? That by the way, I love. Establishing the vertical relationship. So what I had to do was like just tune out the noise because the horizontal are like, you know, my family members, my friends and et cetera, but their viewpoints are going to be different than mine because they're not actually walking through what I've been through. So I had to, you know, start reading different devotionals via my Bible app, listen to positive music, whether it's CHH, which is Christian hip hop or gospel music or something that kind of like ministered back to my soul to let me know that God is still there and he sees me through it all and he's never going to leave me or forsake me. And even though I think he's far away, it's probably because I've been far away and I've removed myself from pressing into him. When did you remove yourself from pressing into him? Like when did you distance yourself? Probably when my dad passed in November of 2020, like, because I just didn't understand it. Like how my dad, who went into the hospital walking, got paralyzed three days later, he couldn't move from the waist down. I didn't understand how someone could give him the wrong medication. I didn't understand why, like, you know, some of his care wasn't better than what it was. I do understand that, yes, it was a pandemic, but what about people who were in the hospital that did not have COVID? And just the way that my dad 
spent his time in the hospital and just due to the different medical negligence and just doctors not listening and et cetera, even though we were advocating. And when I say we, like some of my family members who are in the medical field, like some of them are nurses or nurse practitioners. And we gave different suggestions when we had round table meetings and they just weren't listening until it got to the point where my dad ended up with an open wound and that wound got septic. Then they're like, oh, let's try this, let's try that. But if they were listening to us in the beginning, it wouldn't have gotten that bad. Oh my God, that is terrifying. What did he originally go in for? His blood sugar levels being elevated. And how did he know that? So my dad just kept throwing up and he wasn't keeping anything down like fluids or solids. And so I had called his PCP, which is his primary care physician. And they're like, oh, well, maybe it's COVID. Maybe you should do a COVID test. And I'm like, no, I don't think it's that. And so he's like, well, get him to the emergency room. And so we got him to the emergency room. And by that point, we had to wait like some hours because, you know, the emergency room was packed at that time because he went in on May 21st, 2020. And then they ended up keeping my dad there. And then the third day, they're like, oh, well, your dad can't move his right side of the body. So I was like, well, did my dad have a stroke? And they're like, no. But I'm like, that's so weird that he can't move the right side of his body because he walked in here. And what do you mean he can't move the right side? So I started to get very angry because it's like we're asking questions and we're not getting the answers. And then up to now, like it was a fight for even my mom to get the medical records. They would not release the medical records to my mom or me. And I got my friend's husband involved who practices law and he got a paper to try to get them to release the medical records. And then they were saying, oh, a physician needs to sign off and all this other stuff. So it was just like something is just not adding up. And like, how do you handle even navigating the medical system? I mean, that in itself is hard. And then during a pandemic, and then when it's unexpected, Mm -hmm. like, were you guys at all prepared for this? No, not really. But the good thing is that, you know, thankfully, my dad did have insurance. So he had insurance, medical insurance, and life insurance. So that was actually super beneficial because the cost of burial has increased, especially in the pandemic, because so many people passed away. Like, And just to put things in context here in Texas, it's $10,000 just to open the graves, like just to dig a hole, it's $10,000. Oh my God. And it goes up from there, depending on what cemetery you pick and where you want to be buried and et cetera. So that's why some people who lost people unexpectedly, they did cremation because they just couldn't afford a burial. Oh my God. That just gives me the total goosebumps. What was your dad's like state of mind? Like, did he think he was going to be okay? When he was working with PT, so physical therapy and OT, which is occupational therapy, we did see some improvements, but I do think that, you know, my dad, who was an independent person, drove my mom everywhere, played with the grandkids. I think, you know, his mental state did take a little toll because now it was like he was relying on my mom, me, and my husband to, you know, really help him. And that's kind of hard for a man and his ego if you're so used to doing everything for yourself. Now you're wheelchair bound and you want to get up and then you have to call 
my mom and me or my husband to like we had a Hoyer where you would get the Hoyer and like move it over the bed lower it pick him up then move him back to the wheelchair and you know certain times that would be uncomfortable and there was one incident where he fell at home and it was just so scary because you know my mom and I we couldn't pick him up because like he was almost like dead weight since from the waist down so luckily my neighbor that lives to the back of us he a police officer so he came over and helped us and then a few times my other neighbor who's a male came over and helped but it's kind of hard to like burden and bother your neighbors but I was so grateful that they were home and able to come help us oh my gosh and then it's like how do you go about like a regular day when your whole life becomes wrapped up and you know taking care of your loved one exactly and It takes a lot of mental strength as well as physical strength to be a caregiver. And around that time, I think it did create, you know, some tension between me and my supervisor because she wanted me to come back to work. And I was like, I cannot come back to work when I have family members at home that need help because my mother doesn't drive. So then I became the primary driver for her and my dad. If they needed something, I would have to go out and get it. Or if my husband wasn't here, like, you know, it would just be me. And then sometimes, you know, my husband will go out and help. But then I would never forget it. My supervisor at that time, she said, I don't understand it. Why can't you just hire a nurse? Like it's that cheap to hire a nurse. Like when you begin to step into home health, some of the nurses charge $90 an hour and up, depending on what type of nurse they are. Wow. I became a patient advocate for my dad because I did have some medical terminology. And then whenever I got stuck on certain things, I leaned on my sister-in-law, who's a nurse practitioner, to help me with like some of the medical terms and et cetera. Oh my God. Can you imagine people that don't have someone who has that medical terminology or that are just completely trusting what the doctors are saying? Yeah, it would definitely be like a needle in a haystack because a lot of the things that they were spitting out, some of them are big words. And I'm like, can you break it down to like my level? But just having her to like bounce things off and just exchange ideas and talk about things was so helpful to have her from a nurse practitioner standpoint or my dad's sister, who's a nurse. And that was very helpful. Oh my gosh. I cannot imagine. I also find it really interesting. Like, you know, I've checked out a bunch of episodes of your podcast. Like, would you say that what you've experienced during the pandemic has shaped who you want to talk to? A little bit in a sense, because I definitely want to help other people who may have a loved one that is going through something or, you know, just put out the education there into the world to like, let people know this is what you should do if you're a caregiver, or if you have a loved one that's facing medical negligence, or if you have someone in your family that's disabled or et cetera, just to really let them know that they're not in it alone. Because sometimes when you don't don't have anyone else in your circle that identifies with you, you could really feel like it's just you against the world and you don't really have that backbone or someone that understands where you're coming from. Yeah. What would you tell people that are looking for a caregiver or that have a disability? Like, did you learn anything that like resources that you didn't know about? 
Yeah, so there's different insurance providers will offer different benefits. So definitely understand what all your insurance covers. And then also whenever you are looking at the billing that you receive in the mail, always go through it with like a fine-tuned code to just make sure they didn't put the wrong code in because some of the billing, they could easily switch like a M for an N and that could be either $50 or $500 or $5,000. But if you don't catch like that coding, then you know, you could be paying more out the wazoo than as far as a caregiver part. I definitely would encourage you to do your due diligence if you're looking for a home health agency, look at what the reviews are saying, call them, interview them. If it's possible, just maybe even go out to their office or have them come to your house and kind of explain different things. We went through two different home agencies just to make sure that it was a good fit for us, but we were also a good fit for them too because it is a partnership. Then when you are talking to your physicians, it should be a partnership. It shouldn't be just one-sided what the physician says goes because on the other side, they're not the one in your body. They're not feeling for you. They don't understand maybe the side effects that you're going through if they've never had what you had. So you should be able to have an open and honest conversation with them. Like, oh, this, when I take this medication, this is how I feel. Or when I'm in the care of this physical therapist or occupational therapist, I don't like when they do this, this, and this, or et cetera, because the moods of the people taking care of you can also alter your mood as the patient. I don't know why that reminds me of kind of like your stay in corporate too, but like working in corporate America can feel very one-sided. Like you just do what you're told and you do what the role needs of you. And is there any room for you to discuss how the role makes you feel or, you know, your goals or your values or upward growth or what you thought the role was going to be, right? Like where's the room for that? Absolutely. And I found there was a theme because lately on my podcast, I've been trying to interview different people, whether they're a cancer survivor or thriver. And the reason why I picked those is because I have a cousin who's undergoing chemo right now for leukemia and then, or lupus. Lupus is another big warm spot for me because my little cousin, she was 20 years old when she passed away with lupus. So I definitely believe in, you know, lighting the torch and keep that going with lupus. And then I have a friend recently who was misdiagnosed. And then they later found out that she had lupus, but then they didn't know what it was. So she went through a medical induced coma because her organs started to shut down. So eventually I'm hoping to have her on my podcast so she could share more about her journey when she's ready. But now she's able to, you know, walk again and talk and et cetera. And after all that, she did go through therapy because she couldn't move like her limbs or walk. So she had to learn how to walk again, learn how to feed herself and et cetera. So it's just been such a huge blessing to see where she was to where she is now. I've been talking with just different people who are dealing with autoimmune diseases or et cetera, because I want to let people know, okay, this is an individual that's dealing with something. This is how they're coping and et cetera. Because I think once you have more conversations around it, it starts to build up the momentum. So that way, 
they could share it with a medical provider and say, hey, this is someone else who's going through something similar or for somebody else who may be in their position, they could be an advocate for them. And if I could do that by intersecting and bridging the gap just by having a conversation, then I feel like I'm doing my part. So I do try to have versatile conversations with different people so I can complement the core pillars, which are to educate, inspire, and motivate. I love that. You're doing amazing work, truthfully. And I know that you're also very passionate about the DEI space. Where did that start? So that definitely started from me dealing with systemic racism in corporate. In my last role, I was significantly underpaid in comparison to my peers. Like my peers started at a CL22 and CL means classification level pay-wise. And I was a CL15 doing the same work as them. So that's a big gap. And it wasn't until I spoke up after the whole entire George Floyd incident that I got a $20,000 salary increase. And then I got a bump in my classification level. I went from a 15 to a 22 one week after speaking up in the vice president's meeting. And then just working my way up the ladder, not just once, but twice in my career. So the first time it was with a smaller mom and pop company that was ran by Brits, so British. And I started as an imaging clerk, then worked up to project coordination, then did HSC, which is health, safety, and environmental. Then I became a manager there. And so my salary became capped out. I reached that glass ceiling. And that's what ultimately led me to going to work for a Fortune 500 company. And even though I had all the technical experience and background, they brought me in as an administrative assistant. So it was like a slap in the face because I went from like a manager to like an admin. But what I learned in that is sometimes you have to humble yourself and get your foot in the door in order for you to navigate when you're, whether you're moving industries or you're moving different companies from a small company to maybe a midsize to a large company, what you had at that other company is not going to be the same. So you have to learn how to assimilate in a sense without, you know, compromising your morals and values. So then it took me four and a half years to move out of that admin role because they had this cliche saying, Rena, that says once an admin, always an admin. And I'm like, I didn't go to school to be an admin. No disrespect to administrative assistants out there who love their job and who love the administration professional bucket. That's just not what I signed up to do. I had a degree, an associate's degree, and I was in school at the time to finish my bachelor's. So once I graduated with supply chain and logistics in technology, plus double minors, one in purchasing and one in organizational leadership and supervision, what makes you think that with that degree, I want to be an administrative assistant? There's nothing logically saying I spent this amount of money in school to sit here as an admin. How did you stick with it that long? I definitely stuck with it just by making sure like I was mentally (laughs) inclined because it did take a toll. Networking with other people within the company to get for those individuals to get to know me outside of the admin bucket, asking for like step out activities, whether it was volunteering with some of the nonprofits that the company partnered with like United Way 
junior achievement and et cetera, or some of, even some of the golf tournaments, because then I got to be the caddy for a little bit, and I really got to network outside of there. That helped me stay grounded because it gave me some flexibility to try other things that wasn't my day-to-day job. So it showed them that I was competent enough to get my day-to-day job done while taking on extracurricular activities. And then once I had my degree in hand, that was actually the icing on top, or some people say the cherry on top, to really show, okay, now she has a degree, she's checked the box, she has the experience and et cetera. So now she has everything to move on. So if they didn't let me move on, then it would be another conversation. How did the industry change from when you started until you left? Well, definitely the pandemic played a big part. A lot of people were laid off, whether it was via attrition, meaning they were retirement eligible, they either were forced out of the door or highly suggested to take their retirement package. A lot of younger professionals realized that they had the flexibility to work from home, especially when offices were closed. So they didn't feel like it was necessary to go back to a brick and mortar company because they could do everything that they needed from the comfort of their home. It also, you know, woke up working mothers, letting them know that, hey, I'm now at home, so I have time to be a wife to my husband and a mother to my children, and I don't have to use vacation time to take my son to the doctor or my daughter to the doctor. They had that wiggle room, you know? So then that I think that really is what birthed the great resignation where you see handfuls of people exiting the job market because they do want that workplace flexibility And then also from like an insurance standpoint, some insurance rates even increase because we're in this unknown setting. No one really knows when the pandemic is going to end. We're still in the pandemic right now, if you look at it, but just some people have forgotten about it and we've gotten lax. Like people don't want to wear their mask anymore. There's the unvaccinated people arguing with the vaccinated people. Then on top of everything, looking at the oil and gas industry right now, what do we have going on? The Ukraine and Russia crisis. So look at the prices of oil, look at what you're paying at the pump. I can tell you, I didn't fully fill up my gas tank, (laughs) you know, and I don't think I'm the only one putting five gallons in at a time. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. When I was working for this fortune 500 company, it was one of the big ones that has gas stations named after them. And I told them, no, I'm sorry. I put gas at Sam's or Costco because I'm a member and it's just so much cheaper. (laughs) Oh my God, that's hysterical. Did you get a discount from working there or no? You'll get a gas card and then they'll take it out of your paycheck. But when you go to that particular gas station, you pay a lot more. So why would I want to pay more there when I could get a discount by being a Sam's Club or Costco member? It just didn't make sense. I'm like, make it make sense. I am curious though, because you spent a lot of time in oil and gas. How do you think it could be improved? I definitely feel with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, like whenever you hire diverse talent, don't just hire them to check a box to show your shareholders that you're diversing your talent. Actually work on succession plans with those individuals. Make sure they feel like they are included in all areas. Like, do we have representation 
and on our boards? Is there somebody that looks like them that they could identify? Do we have representation throughout the company in various departments? Where are we hiring our talent pool from? What colleges? Are they PWIs or are they predominantly Black colleges? There's predominantly white colleges and there's predominantly Black college. Why can't there be a mix, whether you're working in upstream, midstream, or downstream? You have to have a mixture of hiring from the talent pool. Don't just hire a candidate because they know someone with the company. Don't go along with the nepotism. Hire the best candidate for that particular job and let them thrive there. Don't just slot them in because you feel like they're quote unquote Jesse's cousin, Jesse's wife, Jesse's daughter, or et cetera. No, make sure they actually check off. Do they have the minimal criteria for that role? And what is their wild card or their differentiation factor whenever they are matched up against another candidate that's going out for that same role? Does it make sense for us to put that unique individual in that slot? Another thing, whenever you have belonging, does that individual feel like they belong at that company? Because if they feel like they belong there, they're going to want to stay longer. So you're going to have that retention. They're going to really be, you know, going the extra mile to ensure that they're meeting the metrics for the company and they feel happy. Like, for example, look at Google. I know Google is a tech company, but they have a lot of things to offer their employees. Their employees don't have to pay for their lunches. There's nap pods or sleep pods, whatever you call them. And look at the different trends that they have. Not every company is perfect, but look at the companies that that are doing right in some areas and try to grab some of their policies and procedures. And if you don't know something about a subject matter, hire an outside consultant that will come into your company and help you clean up your act so you can make sure that you are staying with the trend, but you're also, you know, forecasting for the future. What would you tell someone who's thinking about getting into that industry, into oil and gas? I would definitely encourage them to do their research, make sure that the company's morals match theirs. What is the company mission statement? Does that mission statement complement your personal mission statement? Can you see yourself working for that company for 5, 10, 15 years? What type of benefits does the company offer? Like, especially if you're a mother, do they have a childcare facility on site? If not, how close is the nearest childcare facility? Do they have a hybrid policy, meaning that you could work from home some days if your child gets sick? Or you could go into the office. What is their flexibility like? What do they feel about, you know, nutrition and wellness? Does the company have a gym? Do they pay for gym memberships and et cetera? Because if you are complementing your overall body with health and wellness, then that's also going to save the company money because they're not going to have to pay high premiums for healthy employees. So think about some aspects there. Then what's in it for you, but what's in it for the company? Just like the company wants a return on their investment, their ROI, what is your return on investment? Because it should be a partnership. A job shouldn't just be a job. 
It should be, do you want a career? Do you want that longevity? Do you want something that's sustainable? And I know a lot of people like younger people in my group, they're actually leaving the oil and gas companies and going to tech companies because tech is new, it's thriving, it's popping. It's not new, new, but they have like a lot of different flexibility options that will sway a younger person. Like I'm 30, different companies have equity when you sign on. They have the workplace balance. They have the telecommutes. They have where you don't necessarily have to pay for your meals and et cetera. And that stuff adds up. Like, <laughs> Definitely. Do you wish that you would have maybe done more research going in? A little bit, yeah. But at the time, I was young. The money was good. And both of my older brothers were both in oil and gas. So, And your grandfather. Yeah. It's in your blood, huh? <laughs> Were they like proud of you for taking that kind of opportunity? I guess a little bit. One of my brothers is an engineer. He's no longer in oil and gas. So he's now in the tech space, which is cool. And then my other brother is still in oil and gas, but we do different things. And he's always had the cush jobs where he's had expat assignments. So he's gotten to work in foreign countries. And that's amazing because when you were, when you do an expat assignment, like the money that you make there is pretty much like tax-free in a sense. You have like a driver, you have a compound that you stay in and you know, all the bells and whistles. So I can't really speak from his perspective because I've never had an expat assignment, but from the benefits and the outside looking in, I'm like, ooh, who doesn't want that job? You work half a year and et cetera. But then there is a con, like especially when you're married and you have younger kids, that time away from your family, you're not going to get that back. Yeah. How do you get into those expat type of opportunities? Definitely with your skill sets. And it has to be based on the company's needs. Like I know for the company I was working on, it would be, are you mobile? You would either say yes or no. Then what are your skill sets? And do those skill sets complement the job assignment that's based in that expat country? And then based on your mobility, how long would you be mobile? Are you mobile for rotational assignments? Are you mobile for relocation assignments or et cetera? So there's different factors that go into it depending on what company you work for. Have you done any international travel? I've done it personally, not on someone else's dime. <laughs> Where's the fa your favorite place to travel? Oh, I like St. Lucia. I've been there. I've been to the Sandals Resort, so I'm a, so that was kind of like spoiled. And I went there because my only because my brother got married there. Of course, where my mom is from, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, so the West Indies. That was nice. The Bahamas. The Wait, Atlantis. what? What was that like? Um, seeing where your mom is from? Amazing, because you know I got to meet my grandmother like the first time I went there and then and then I recently went there with my husband so he could see the island and that was amazing because he got to meet my grandmother before she passed and she was 99 years old so that was just cool oh my god just, that's so special what was that like it was amazing like to be honest because he really got to talk with granny Vanessa they shared laughs and different stories and etc even though her memory would come and go I just feel like having someone who was 99 years old full of wisdom who had 11 children it was just amazing just to hear like some of her 
her jokes and her perspectives on life and just to kind of see them interact. I wish like, you know, she would have came back to the U.S. But, you know, here in the U.S., there's different constraints. Like she was so used to like going in her garden, walking and different stuff. And when you're here and you're older, like, you know, they try to tend to lock up some of the elderly people for safety reasons. So there she had more freedom and liberty to do like what she wanted, you know? Yeah. What do you want in your older age? Ooh, that's a great question. I definitely want to be retired somewhere out of the country. So in the Caribbean with blue water, lots of fruit trees, palm trees. I love palm trees and just really enjoying the fruits of my labor, like me and my husband. And then of course, like if our grandkids want to come down, (laughs) but yeah, just like a carefree life and just really just taking that time to just relax and rejuvenate and just have that peace and serenity. Do you feel like you're taking steps towards that now? Like, has your view on life changed through this pandemic? Most definitely. Like, I'm like, if it's not adding value to me, I'm not doing it. If I'm not adding value to it, then I'm removing myself from the equation. Like, I feel like I don't want to stress about things that aren't going to matter a year, five years or 10 years from now. And I really want to be intentional with my time. So like I put everything pretty much on my calendar so I could hold myself accountable because I'm like, time is of the essence. You're not going to get that time back. Yeah. I also, I heard you say, even like when you're having negative thoughts, like you Mm -hmm. say to yourself, like, is this thought good for me emotionally, spiritually, mentally, all of those things. Like how amazing that you're able to like check yourself like that. Yeah. Like you have to set up something to hold yourself accountable. So it's like almost like my other question, like what's fueling me? If it's not fueling me, I'm not doing it. Then if it's not good for my mental health, my spiritual health, my emotional health, or my physical health, why am I exerting that energy on that thing? It doesn't matter. Also, another thing that I heard you say too, is like, why do we keep getting stuck in these comfort zones? Because every time we are shook up or in like the hardest situation, that is when we grow the most, but we keep like wanting to like get comfortable, but there is no way to grow in comfort. Exactly. And I just feel like if you get so comfortable in that comfort zone, Rena, it's because you lack like a paradigm shift. Like there's something that you need to hack in your mindset to get over that. Like when I work with some, some of my coaching clients, I have like 10 mindset hacks that I go over. And then of course I dive deeper in whatever they do paid sessions. Cause at first I was doing consultation calls for free. And I just felt like it just wasn't beneficial anymore because some people book one call, then they'll try to book another call. And it's like, I'm spending this time and I'm not getting, you know, compensated for it. They don't even say thank you or whatever, you know? So I started charging now for my consultation calls because people value what they pay for. A hundred percent. How did the coaching start? And can you give me a couple of those hacks or gems? Yeah, so the coaching definitely started when someone who was following me on my other journey on LinkedIn reached out and they're like, hey, I see you're doing this work in the DE and I space like I work in higher ed 
I actually want to do more in DEI to make a difference with students of color. And she was, you know, she was non-melanated. So she was a white woman that really wanted to make a change for color students. So she ended up moving across the country, changing schools and et cetera, just based on like us having a conversation. And it was incredible just to see and hear her growth because I'm like, wow, she took my advice. Like we've had, you know, different conversations and now she's actually doing something that makes her happy where she's feeling fulfilled because it builds her up to see other kids thriving. And then she's also being able to add value. And the value that she's adding is being considered by her peers. Like, you know how much of a difference that makes to have like the value that you add and other people listen to it? Yeah. I mean, creating your podcast, creating a book, right? Like these things then Mm -hmm. are viewed and listened to by others. And like you said, like you're making a difference. Yeah. So like, I know you want to dive into like maybe some of my 10 hacks. So I'll just highlight them briefly. I'm not going to go into details. So some of the 10 hacks that I find people struggle with is number one, I'm not good enough. So then instead of saying, I'm not good enough, ask yourself, am I good enough? Number two, fear. What if I fail? And then the flip side is, well, kick fear in the butt. You got to kick fear in the butt. Three, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. Money, not having the resources. How many times has someone said, oh, I want to do that, but I just don't have the money. But then if you ask them, well, what have you spent? Oh, girl, I went to Starbucks or I bought me a new new purse or I have some Louis Vuittons. Well, That's your problem. You're not prioritizing where you are spending your funds. So where are you allocating those resources for support system? They may not always be family members and friends. How many times have you gone into business and you try to sell your product or your services to your family members and friends? They're only going to buy from you once. And that'll probably be the only time because they wanted to support you. They're not going to buy from you every time. So they're not your ideal avatar. Girl, I can barely get them to write me a podcast (laughs) review. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. Don't go to your friends and family. (laughs) Five, knowledge. Are you the SME, subject matter expert, or do you need to spend more time learning? How many times have you heard people say, if you're not learning, you're not growing? I know if you listen to my podcast, I've say that quite a bit. Six, my career is stagnant. Why is your career stagnant? What are you doing to take ownership of your career and move the needle forward? If your career is stagnant, it's probably because you allowed your employer to place limitations and barriers on you to keep you in a holding pattern because they know if they could keep you in a holding pattern, you're not going to expand and flourish because you're not going to take that leap of faith. Seven, negativity. How many times have you allowed this, your mindset, to trick you out of getting ahead because you allowed fear, doubt, guilt, shame, remorse to dictate how you feel. So you leaned into your emotions versus leaning in to your gifts and your talents. So where is the negative will and emotions coming from? Eight, who am I? Do you know who you are? Because if you don't, you're going to fall victim to what the world tells you, what your family tells you, 
what your friends tell you, and what social media tells you. Social media is trying to paint a picture for all of us because there's so much vanity going on there. People want you to see what they want you to see, but is that really real? So I challenge you, who are you? Nine, where do I start? Do you know where the starting line is? Where is it? Because if you're running a marathon, everyone knows where to line up and start that marathon. Just like you know how to start your car, whether you're putting the key in the ignition or if you're boom, boom, hitting that push to start, you know how to start it. So why don't you know how to start in your life? Is it because you've let certain things get stale and stagnant? And then 10. I don't have enough time. Well, what are you spending your time on? Are you Netflixing and chilling? Are you spending time doing this? Have you seen this number? Scrolling. Oh girl, she's doing that. Just scrolling on social media. Time is passing by. TikTok. TikTok's another one that gets people. 30 minutes turns into an hour. An hour turns into two hours. Or are you emotionally eating, spending time eating, eating a whole bunch of junk food? And before you know it, you're sluggish, you're tired. Oh, I'm going to take a nap. Where are you spending your time? And those are the top mindset hacks, high level that I go through, go through details with my clients though. I love those gems. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. How many years did that take to compile, right? And it's still adding, like you could still add on more to it because as you grow mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, you'll learn more mindset hacks about you and other people that you could then begin to unpack. I do have one more question. I know you're a believer and that you did struggle a little bit with God during the passing of your dad. What made you a believer? Definitely growing up in a household with parents who were believers. My dad was very, you know, spiritual as well as religious. It was different because my dad grew up Catholic and my mom grew up Lutheran or well, Anglican, which is like Lutheran here in the States. And so they both came from two different religions. And when they got together and were raising me, we just became non-denominational because we're like, God is the same, you know, it's one, one God and we can go to God for ourselves versus going to the priests and confessing our sins or going here why can't we just talk to God and started to believe that yeah that's how you could establish that vertical relationship with God because you're not going outwards to men or women who make the same mistakes or they sin just like you sin but God is you know omnipresent he's everywhere so definitely having you know a a background of people who were close-knit in religion as well as spirituality really helped me. Did you ever test God? Oh yeah, many times. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I definitely did. And I feel like I'm still kind of going through periods of that, you know? I did hear you talk about writing a bunch of things on paper and then burning them and then... We had this thing because I don't go to this church anymore. It was an apostolic church where on a New Year's Eve, you would go to church for a few hours. So you would bring like a blank sheet of paper and you'll write down all the things that you didn't want to see going into the new year. And then once you're done, you fold it up and then you stuff it in an envelope and you seal that envelope like you're sealing the past things. And then you go put it in the fire to like burn it up. And that's like cleansing. It's like saying that you laid it all down and you're going in with a new transformation. So I thought that was pretty cool because I've never done that until I started going to that church. 
Wow. Are there any other like customs that you've taken on that you like really connect to? Well, I know around Lent time, some people do their prayer and fasting where you're saying no to certain foods, whether you're saying no to cookies or you may be saying no to like TV or whatnot. And you use that time to really consecrate yourself and get closer to God. So I know that's one thing and they call them the power twins, prayer plus fasting is the power twins. The one example I just gave about burning things up. And those are the two examples I can kind of think of right now. That's cool. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? Ooh, yes. You know, with him growing up in his generation, like, and now this generation, what is the difference that he sees now? How far we've came as society as a whole, whenever you think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, or segregation, because I know there was a period of time where races were segregated. I kind of want to know like his perspective from like a seasoned person, like an older person. And then now with how the world is changing and being reshaped, like how has it impacted him personally as well as professionally? Yeah, that's a great question. Did you ever talk to your dad about that? Yeah, I have, but we, we also come from a you know, multicultural family. So I think my grand, my great grandfather, I want to say he was like either Cuban or something. My dad's mom was half white, half black. And her mom was from Saba. So her mom was white. And then her dad was black. And then now with like my siblings, my siblings are married to people who are non-African-American. Well, except my older brother. So his wife is actually from Africa. So their daughter is truly African-American. My other brother's married to an Indian. So she's Trinidadian and Guyanese. My sister's kids are half white. So we kind of have like the whole melting pot. So like, you know, talking to my dad about certain things, he was very open to it because he came from an environment that was open and was culturally blended. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, I would love you to promote away. You have so much to promote, a radio show, a book, a podcast. (laughs) I would definitely encourage people to just check out my website, which is genesisamariskemp.net because it has all the information. So I have my book there, which is Chocolate Drop in Corporate America from the Pit to the Palace. So I'm giving away the first chapter of my book for free. And then I have, of course, my radio show that I do on a monthly basis, which is in partnership with Negozi Time Multimedia. And then, of course, my podcast, which is GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp. It's on 40 plus platforms. You can see all the different platforms on my website. And as I mentioned already in the segment, I really stick to the core pillars to educate, inspire, and motivate while intersecting and bridging the gap for D, E, I, and B, which is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And all the other information that you want to know, it's definitely on my website. So just make sure you go through the different tabs. And for those of you who are listening, I do have three free offers for you. The first one is the book, which is the first chapter of my book for free. So that's under my book tab. And the second two is a health assessment. So you could understand where are you health wise and what, what you need to do to get to where you want to be. And the 
third one is a health and wellness product, which is the sunrise, which is all the super fruits and super nutrients that you need. So it'll give you that boost of energy while making you feel good and not allowing you to crash like a five hour energy. Wow. I love that. Make sure you send me all of that and I'll put it in the show notes. Oh my gosh. Well, you have hit all of those four pillars with me. I am such a fan of yours and it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Rena. And I will definitely, definitely send you all that information because it's all on my website. Okay. Amazing. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. Her name is Genesis. The fact is, is that what that really means is like new beginnings. That's how even the the Torah starts off in Genesis, and she's really experienced some big highs and lows, and she's not afraid to put in the work to develop herself and overcome a lot of the prejudices out there, a lot of the stereotypes of different positions, and make sure you have the tools, make sure you have the credentials, make sure there's no excuses to hold you back. And that's how you have a chance to be on a trail for success, that you have to work at it and you have to overcome adversity. Nobody's going to hand us anything. And she brings up an interesting question for me. Do I see the difference in some of diversity of today versus when I was growing up and trying to ascertain you know, my mark and to fulfill my own dreams and to continue the legacy of my parents and their parents and their parents? I see progress at times, and yet when you lower your guard and you think that the world has become less prejudiced, uh, you find out that there's still a lot of it undercover. Still plenty of people out there that are anti-Semite. There's plenty of people that are still against different religions and different color skins. So to say that the prejudices have ceased, I don't think so. I think that we still got a long ways to go. But what is happening in America is that a lot of the voices are being heard. And in order for prejudices to subside and where you know that you've really made the progress, I'll give you what formula really has to be. What that is, is that you have to have positions, as you've mentioned, where people with the talent, the knowledge, the skills, the A-game are given the opportunity, no matter what nationality or what race, or what religion that you are, and where if people can strive and achieve, you set an example then for others to join in and be able to take those positions in the future. We just uh, are looking at the NFL again, where probably 70% of the NFL, the National Football League, are Black athletes. And yet when it comes to the management or the coaching or the head coaching, they're still uh, you know, you can you can talk about the Rooney rule all you want, but the fact is, is that most of those interviews are just bullshit, and they're still not going to hire black coaches. You still have a good old boy club where they're not going to take necessarily qualified black athletes that have learned the game, have learned the coaching, have really excellent talent and capability, and unless you put them in those positions and give them a chance to to succeed. You're not going to have young men or young women grow up and say that it's ascertainable if you have that feeling or that uh, barrier of entry. 
So even though in your family, there is certainly diversity is there and where people do not look at each other based on nationality or color and race. And the fact is, is that I hope more families can do that. But we got a long road, in my opinion, still to go. But we are making progress. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 